Chapter Twenty One of The Flint Heart by Eden Philpotts. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty One. Send for Charles. The spokesmen were six in number, and they had been chosen with great care because much depended upon them and the way they put the case to the king. They chose the fox because he was so clever. They chose the hedgehog for his common sense. They chose the heron because he was a great speaker. They chose the owl because he was the wisest of all the birds. They chose the frog because he had a terrible private grievance against the badger. They chose the door-beetle because he was an orphan. The king nodded to his acquaintances among the creatures, shook hands with some personal friends, and bowed to the entire assembly. Then, having an excellent memory for faces, as our own king, he noticed that an important beast was missing. "'Where's the badger? Where is Mr. Meles?' he inquired. "'Well may you ask, Your Majesty,' replied the fox. "'Where, indeed, is the badger?' "'It is on the very subject of the badger that we five hundred beasts, birds, reptiles, and insects, have come before you in a solemn deputation to-day. "'Can it be possible that he has annoyed you all?' asked the king. "'Every blessed one of us, Your Majesty,' replied the hedgehog. "'How extraordinary!' said the king. "'Why, I have known him for years, and a better-tempered, better-hearted, less cranky gentleman I never wished to meet.' "'He has sadly changed, Your Majesty,' replied the heron, "'and we have to tell a dismal tale of his downfall, and—but uh, if Your Majesty pleases, you had better listen to the deputation,' interrupted the owl, who well knew what a terrible talker the heron was when he once got started. "'Of course,' answered the king. "'That's what I'm here for. Now begin.' Thereupon the fox stood up, arranged his notes, and opened the proceedings. The badger, he said, has decided to become king of the moor, and we have decided that he shall not be anything of the sort. He is by no means the kind of person to turn into a king. He is plain and ignorant, he is narrow-minded and no sportsman. He eats the partridge's eggs and uses exceedingly common language. He scratches and bites everybody, and behaves in a most unkingly manner. Instead of being king, he ought to be locked up. We are, in fact, sick and tired of his bluster and bullying and horrid ways, and feel that something ought to be done. Then the fox sat down, and the hedgehog stood up and said his say. As a practical beast, I know that the badger is doing a great deal of harm and unsettling the young people and filling their heads with nonsense. He wants them all to make him king, and, if they do, he has promised to divide the moor among his followers. And as it isn't his to divide, but belongs to the little new Prince of Wales and several other important human beings, I object to this ridiculous way of going on, and feel that something ought to be done." Then the hedgehog sat down, 
and the heron stood up and said his say, and a very long say it was. As representing the feathered legions of the air, I have to announce our rooted and fixed determination, never under any sort of temptation, to yield our allegiance to the badger. We owe him no thanks, we are not in his debt, and inasmuch as he has taken to eating eggs, it will appear to all beasts and birds assembled that the feathered legions of the air cannot be expected to gaze with a kindly eye on this ill-favored and nocturnal creature. Here the owl, who did not like the heron, interrupted. There is no objection to his being nocturnal. I am nocturnal myself, he said. The heron merely looked shocked at being interrupted. Then he went on again. The question appears to me, and to the feathered legions of the air, in whose interest I now appear, to lie under seventeen heads or divisions, and I shall proceed to examine each of them, so that we may see how we stand and what course we ought to pursue. Uh, pardon me, said the king, it would give me great pleasure to hear you examine the seventeen heads of the question, but there really won't be time. The heron bowed and tried without success to conceal his disappointment. He had hoped to make a great impression, but the worst of him was that, though a fine talker, he always managed to be so deadly dull. Now he finished his speech, but dragged it out as long as he could. In that case, Your Majesty, I will content myself with saying not only I, but those feathered legions of the air, which I have the honor to represent on this occasion, feel that something ought to be done. The heron sat down, and the owl stood up, and said his say. Something must be done. It is a case for deeds, not words. This was a dig at the heron and the king and queen could not help smiling a little. But they applauded the fine brevity of the owl. The owl sat down, and the frog, who was terribly anxious to be heard, said his say. If there is one person here who has more right than another to speak, he began, it is me. Grammar, whispered the lizard. Hang grammar, replied the frog. There are things that lift a sensitive person far above grammar, and this is one of them. In a word, the badger has eaten both my grandmothers. My paternal grandmother was snapped up on Friday fortnight, and my maternal grandmother followed last Tuesday. Life is a farce, liberty a byword, peace is a dream, while the badger is thus allowed to eat just whoever he likes. Two kinder, gentler, harmlesser old ladies never had long families, and now they are gone. They have been taken from us by this abominable murderer. We shall never see a leg of them again. Nor is it any argument to answer that my grandmothers gave the wretch indigestion. The point is that he had not a shadow of excuse for eating either of them. Nobody is safe, death is let loose among us, and who can tell whose turn it may be next? In a word, something ought to be done. 
and if nobody else will do anything, then I will risk following my grandmother's and tackle the badger myself. Which shows how much better people can speak if they are really interested in a subject than if they are merely keeping up their reputation for talk and haven't got their hearts in what they are saying. All cheered the frog for his fine fighting speech, and there was not a dry eye among the reptiles when he sat down again. After him the beetle seemed very tame. He mumbled something about being an orphan, and about having had to fly for his life from the badger on several occasions, but nobody paid much attention to him, for the deputation wanted to hear what the king would say, and still more to know what he would do. There is little doubt, began the king, then a curious noise at the main entrance caused him to break off and listen. There is little doubt, he repeated, and then the noise at the door increased. It was not often that people dared to make a noise when the king spoke, and he was naturally somewhat annoyed about it. There is little doubt, he said for the third time, and then a regular din and hubbub quite silenced him. Several official fairies rushed to still the clamor. There is little doubt, resumed the king. But now his speech ended altogether, for there was a violent rush from the entrance, the jacky-toed guards were sent flying in every direction, and who should appear in all his best clothes but the badger himself? It's beastly of you all, simply beastly, he cried out, and I won't have it. He wore a tweed suit and a round bowler hat and a loud green and red tie. The flint heart dangled about his neck as though it were an eyeglass. He carried an umbrella and waved it over his head in a very violent and impertinent manner. "'Take your hat off,' said the king. "'How dare you make this vulgar noise when I'm speaking?' I didn't know you were speaking, answered the badger, and I shall not take my hat off. Why? asked the king. For the simple reason that I am a king myself, replied the badger. One king doesn't take off his hat in the presence of another. We're equals. My dear Meles, replied the king, you must be mad. How can a simple commoner suddenly blossom out into a king. He can, when he's clever enough, replied the badger. If you knew history, which you evidently don't, you'd jolly soon see that all sorts of people have become kings. You've only got to be man enough. What about Napoleon? Remove his hat, said the king quietly, and then I'll sentence him. This is no case for argument or conversation. A pretty king he would make. So a regiment of jacky toads rushed forward and surrounded the badger and knocked off his hat, and took his umbrella away, and all the beasts shouted with indignation at him. Then some aged and learned fairies whispered to the king that he must give even a rude and blustering creature like the badger fair play before he sentenced him.
and the king assured them that they need not fear he would forget his dignity. He then addressed the badger in these kingly words. I have no wish to be unreasonable or exercise my power in an unkind manner. I will content myself with explaining to you that you are wrong. Before anybody can become king over anybody else, one of two things must happen. The person must either be the proper king and follow some other member of a royal family to the throne in the ordinary way, or he must prove himself so brave and clever and wonderful and powerful that the people with one voice proclaim him king and invite him to put on the crown and even insist upon his doing so. Well, the other beasts have not the slightest wish to make you their king. They wouldn't have you for the world. They used to like you, as I did myself, but now they do not. In fact, they dislike you very much, and it is all your own fault, because to tell you the honest truth, you are not really brave or clever or wonderful or powerful. You are merely a very badly behaved and ignorant badger, who has forgotten himself and his position, given a great deal of unnecessary trouble, and done a great many very wrong and foolish things. Oh, shut up, said the badger, and the king was so much astonished that he nearly fell off his throne. But he kept his temper, even under this great insult. It is you who shall be shut up, he answered. In fact, worse than that must happen to you. To interrupt the king is, well, really, I don't know what it is. Then he turned to his Lord Chief Justice and told him to look into the matter and see what must be done. The Lord Chief Justice wetted his thumb, for he was a self-made fairy, and turned over the pages of the law. Then he said a terrible thing. The sentence of the high court is that anybody interrupting the monarch shall be hanged, drawn, and quartered. There now, exclaimed the king, turning to the badger, you see what you have done. You will be hanged, drawn, and quartered on the afternoon of Wednesday next. Now kindly go home and let us hear no more of you until the time comes for the punishment. Then I shall expect you to be here punctually at half-past four for the hanging, drawing, and quartering. Be punctual, Mellis, I say, or even worse things may happen to you. At this awful moment there was another scene near the door, and before anybody could stop her, Mrs. Mellis, with her four children, rushed in. They hastened to the steps of the throne and knelt down in a row, after which Mrs. Mellis began to talk. It was difficult to understand what she said, because she talked so fast, and in any case she had, of course, come too late to save her husband. Then everybody else began talking also, and some people, but only six, thought the sentence was rather too severe and everybody else thought it was quite satisfactory, and, if anything, rather light. Fortunately for the bad badger, one of the six on his side 
happened to be very powerful. Of course, the other five wouldn't have counted because they were his own wife and children, but the sixth was the queen herself, so that made the matter a good deal more hopeful for him. However, against the queen and the family of the badger were the five hundred beasts, birds, and reptiles, and the jacky toads, and the fairies in general. So the king found himself faced with one of the most difficult problems that he had been called upon to tackle for a very long time. But he was equal to it. After five minutes' deep thought, during which all the company kept silence, except the wicked badger himself, who whistled a stupid tune as loud as he could, and stamped his feet, and rattled his claws, and pretended he didn't care a brass farthing for anybody, the king gave an order. "'Send for Charles,' he said in a clear and royal voice. So they sent for Charles, and this saying of the king's became a sort of sly joke in fairyland ever afterwards. If anybody upset a cup of tea, or broke his shoelace, or cut his finger, or lost a button, or overslept himself, or forgot a message, or took the wrong umbrella, or had neuralgia, or even hiccuped, somebody always said, Send for Charles. But they took very good care that the king never heard about it, because the only gift of real importance this good and wise king lacked was the power of seeing a joke. And when the king happens to be a sort of king who has not got a fine and large knack of seeing what a comical thing it is to be a king, and, indeed, what a screamingly funny thing it is to be alive at all, then his people must be more careful than usual, and not only mind their P's and Q's, but all the other letters of the alphabet as well. End of chapter 21